neither do you think they'll drop the bomb. Mother, do you think they'll like this song? Paraphrase a poem from Rudyard Kipling. If I were hanged on the highest hill, I know whose love would follow me still. If I were drowned in the deepest sea, I know whose tears would come down to me. If I were damned of body and soul, I know whose prayers would make me whole. Mother of mine, oh mother of mine. So that's admittedly a dark but pretty touching poem, because it's oddly comforting to think that whether you hang, drown, or in hell, your mom will still care. But what if she's the one that puts you there? Today on Slums of Film History, we present the second part of our two-part series on bad parents that started with despicable dads and is now turning its gaze to those malicious matriarchs. So if you think dear old pop corn in the market on psychosis, murder, and incest, well, think again. Because as they say, hell hath no fury like a woman or mother scorned, and there's plenty of scorned mothers in this episode. So join us as we discuss Maniacal Moms. Hush now, baby, baby, don't you cry. Mama's gonna make all of your nightmares come true Mama's gonna put all of her fears into you Mama's gonna keep you right here under her wing She won't let you fly, but she might let you sing Mama's gonna keep baby cozy and warm Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is normally not discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. And each week one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from evil dolls, to murderous twins, to aborted baby toxic waste monsters. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hey, Slate. Hi, Tom. How's it going? Good. How are you? We are still in Rehoboth Beach. We're still <laughs> in a shitty hotel room in Delaware. Yeah, and everything's still going on outside, so you folks at home will be able to hear everything that's going on I think it's quieter down a little bit. We just... <laughs> I'm totally leaving this in, because that's just too perfect a timing, yeah. So, there you go. Now yep. you know what's going on here. <laughs> yep. So, Welcome. So this is about maniacal moms, and I really had to narrow my focus because there are plenty of bad moms out there in movies. But I figure we wanted to deal in extremes here, namely the moms that were murderous, incestuous, or just straight-up abusive monsters. Sure. Right? So, so I brung it in a little bit for that. So you got anything to put out before we start? I don't think so. You want to just get into cover it? everything? I think yeah, we covered think everything. we got everything, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. All right. Well, uh, let's get started. So I'm going to talk a little bit about history. Cool. All right. So the first bad mom in history that I could find is none other than Hera, the queen of the gods and the wife of Zeus in Greek mythology. Okay. She was the fucking worst. Even though she's the goddess of marriage and she stayed faithful to Zeus, she was very bitter and hated like most of his children because Zeus fucked around a lot and had a lot of kids. And so Mm -hmm. she was like a bitch to all of them. She wasn't a very good stepmom. Not to mention that after trying to take revenge on Zeus for having Athena, she tried to solo birth a child. She tried doing so by birthing Hephaestus, subreddit. I'm mm-hmm. sure I fucked it up. Yep. I'm not looking it up. I don't give a shit. But he was very ugly. So she oh. threw him off on like Mount Olympus. She was like, fuck this kid and threw him off. He's ugly. So fuck him. Uh, what are you going to do? Yeah. That's a good point. Good point. Mountain. The next bad mom I want to talk about is Medea from Greek myth, mm-hmm. not Tyler Perry's Medea. We've talked about Medea. I know Medea a lot before. about Medea. Yeah, yeah. We talked about her before. I talked about her in Final Vengeance. Huh? And she is written about in a play by Euripides. 
And the plot centers around the actions of Medea. As a former princess and wife of Jason, she finds her position in the Greek world threatened as Jason leaves her for another woman, the princess of Corinth. Mm-hmm. I mentioned this before. She sounds hot. Yep, pretty hot. And then Medea takes vengeance on Jason by murdering Jason's new wife as well as their own children. Oh. Yeah. Then she escapes to Athens to start a new life. So she's like, fuck you. And she killed mm-hmm. her kids. So that's a pretty bad mom. She so, killed her own kids? Yeah. So she oh. killed his wife and then she killed her own, her kids, own kids just to be like, fuck you. Savage. I know. That's a harsh, harsh woman. So moving on, I'm not going to talk about real life bad moms. Two reasons. One, it's depressing as fuck. Ooh. Everyone knows about Casey Anthony and all these other terrible <sighs> what a fucking bad moms. Mom is bad. Oh, it's really, it's really, bad. really bad. Yeah. But two, none of my movies are really based on actual right. bad moms except one, and we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. But since the movies don't really reflect real life, yeah, sure. I'm not going to talk about real life examples because it's going to depress everybody. And our last two episodes were pretty fucking depressing. Yeah, yeah. So let's go to movies. So the first film I can find that could be considered a film featuring a mom at all mm-hmm. is the 1895 silent film, The Execution of Mary, Queen of Scots. Okay. I talked about this film in Head Trauma, whereas it showed the first beheading ever shown on film. It was fake. It was the first special effect ever on film, too. It was done with trick photography and clever editing. So mm-hmm. though her being a mom is purely incidental because Mary, Queen of the Scots was a mom, I'd say it counts because movies up to then weren't really fictionalized accounts of anything. They were like experimental films or they showed like sure. the trains coming or whatever, just body movement. So Thomas Edison and the boxing cat. Exactly. Yep. The first five video yep that being said moms would show up in narrative films soon after including some pretty bad ones and i've got some examples so the first bad mom i really could find in a in a movie was a movie called the planter's wife from 1908 okay and this is a movie about claire who's bored and she runs off with her lover leaving her husband and baby her sister dressed as an intruder pulls a revolver and forces her to come back Mm -hmm. family claire accidentally shoots her lover during a scuffle when she's trying to leave so this actually has the first murderous mom i guess you could say too oh wow she returns home to her husband who i guess they didn't even know that she was gone (laughs) this is pretty funny the next one is called what's his name from 1914 it's a cecil b demille movie and it's about a woman named nelly who leaves her husband and baby she then tries to get a divorce and take the daughter a big fight ensues she leaves anyway the daughter becomes sick and she comes back home so i guess she regrets leaving okay it's weird the next one is the sacrifice of jonathan gray that's from 1915 the mom runs off with the daughter and joins a drug addict lover who convinces her to abandon her daughter wow i know that's 1915 1915 the next one is from 1915 also it's called divorced Mm -hmm. and it's about a wife and mother who divorces her husband for her lover so for her boyfriend Mm -hmm. and then the next one a mother's atonement also from 1915 and it's another one of those mom abandons family movies but this one stars lon chaney our favorite person ever. oh second build yeah. yeah yeah I got another one called Heartstrings from 1916. It's a mom competes with her daughter for the love of a medical student. And then there's one called, I'm going to say this wrong, Hildworn Under Todd from 1917. Oh, I love that movie, Hildworn Under <laughs> Yeah, it's a German film written by Fritz Lang. Mm-hmm. It's about a woman who falls in love with this handsome but bad guy. He's killed in a shootout with police. She has his baby who ends up being a bad guy too. So there's like a legacy of terrible people. Anyway, she eventually like kills this guy or shoots him and injures him because he becomes violent and he's an asshole. So she shoots her own kid. Okay. So I mentioned all these movies because as you can see, these early themes that were coming out in these bad mom movies were they were abandoning their duties as a mother and wife running off for like a more flashy lifestyle or what they think is a better life Don't only to realize yep. that it's a mistake uh-huh. and they either come home or they have to live with the consequences. Just wish one of them would stay out and be like, I actually really prefer this flashy life. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. It'd be great. She'd be yep. like, fuck y'all. I'm yeah. out. Anyway, so flash forward to a century of film. Plenty of moms are in plenty of movies. A lot of stories have been done to death. And, you know, as movies go on, certain stereotypes arise, right? Right. So I found this article on the New York Film Academy website that breaks down mom tropes into four categories. I want to talk about those. Sure. So the first one is called the best friend mom, Mm -hmm. which is while a mother will always be a mother, her relationship with her children changes as they grow up. The best friend movie mother begins to lose control of her children and must become someone different to them, like as a friend. So they learned to switch roles. Not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. Kind of. The next mom is the super mom, which is perhaps the most popular movie mom stereotype. Super mom is also the broadest because of how many different types of super moms there are. They can be everything from a housewife to a businesswoman or all the above. However, one thing always rings true. They will fight like hell for their family. So Mm -hmm. you see that a lot 
in mom depictions. The next one is the overbearing mother, and she wants what's best for her child, but what that means is what she thinks is best. She's super controlling, will ignore her child's wishes, dreams, or personality to force them into something they are not. Mm-hmm. The mother may have good intentions, but it will always result in a rift between them. Right. And then the last one, of course, is the psycho. Uh-huh. My favorite. Oh, of course. It's the most extreme movie mother stereotype, and it's the one who takes overbearing to a whole new level. She controls her children through psychological and even physical abuse, sometimes driving the children themselves to commit terrible acts, and sometimes will herself eliminate anyone or anything that gets in her way. Mm-hmm. And that's the one we're going to mostly talk about today, as I'm sure you figured out. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what's interesting is that you'll also see these other attributes in some of the moms I talk about. So you'll see one where it's a super mom and a psycho all in the same movie. Mm -hmm. Just for an example. We'll talk about that some more, though. Speaking of psychos, let's talk about Psycho Psycho from 1960, which is the American psychological horror film directed and produced by Alfred Hitchcock. Everybody knows about Psycho. Great movie. We've discussed it at great length. Stars Anthony Perkins and Janet Leigh based on the 1959 novel of the same name by Robert Block. The film centers on an encounter between a secretary who ends up at a secluded motel after stealing money from her employer and the motel's owner-manager, Norman Bates, and its aftermath. So, spoiler, in regards to bad moms, Norman Bates murdered Mrs. Bates and her lover 10 years ago out of jealousy. Unable to bear the guilt, he exhumed her corpse and began to treat it as if she were alive. He recreated his mother in his own mind as an alternate personality, dressing in her clothes and talking to himself in her voice. This mother personality is jealous and possessive. Whenever Norman feels attracted to a woman, mother, quote unquote, kills her. At the end of the movie, you know, the mother personality takes hold of his mind. As one of my bad mothers, it's unclear how abusive she was to him before she died. Yeah, because she's dead the whole movie. She's dead the whole movie. She's been dead for some time. So you're not sure if he's just replaying the abuse she put on him or if he's just creating this because he's fucking nuts. Right. And we'll see this carry over into another movie, but it's hard to tell how bad this mom is or if it's just he's crazy and he's just making this all up. And if he's recreating this character and then blaming her for all of his problems. And Yeah, true. Yeah. So let's move on. Well, hold on. Before we move on, we're going to come back to this theme. Mm-hmm. It plays in a little bit later, but let's move on right now to a movie called The Manchurian Candidate from 1962. Oh, I like this one. Have you ever seen this movie? Yeah, sure. It's uh, it's old What's-Her-Name from Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Angela Lansbury. Angela Lansbury. Hot piece of ass. <laughs> Angela Lansbury. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know what? Forevermore, I'm going to be noting her as hot piece of ass. I don't know why that was in my head. I don't think Angela Lansbury was ever in a movie where she was a hot piece of ass. But for some reason, that's the first thing that popped into mind. I have problems. We've been in this hotel room too fucking long. We should never have done this. This was a terrible idea. It was a horrible, horrible idea. The weird thing about it is, is I've seen the original and I've seen the weird, dumb remake of it too. I don't know why. Yeah. What, the Liv Shriver one? Why would anybody yeah. watch that? Well, I'll talk about that both seen slightly okay, in a little great. bit. But yeah, I and I agree with your sentiment on that. Yeah. But we'll talk about it in a second. All right, so for those who don't know, The Manchurian Candidate is an American political thriller about the Cold War and sleeper agents. It was directed by John Frankenheimer. It was based on a 1959 novel of the same name. And it stars Frank Sinatra, Janet Lee, and An- hot piece of ass. She's so hot. Angela uh, Lansbury. I just want to bone her so bad. <laughs> Good God. I don't know why that is in my head. Why did I sexualize? I don't don't know. know It's really weird. I don't know. But that's never going away now. You know that, right? No. Every time we look at her, we're going to be like, take it off, girl. (laughs) Take it off. So weird. I'm feeling comfortable now. This is clearly the mocha dick of this episode. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right. Pull it together. Pull it together. The plot centers on Korean War veteran Raymond Shaw, played by Lawrence Harvey, the progeny of a prominent political family. Shaw was a prisoner of war during the conflict in Korea, and while he was there, he was brainwashed by his captors. After his discharge back into civilian life, he becomes an unwitting assassin involved in an international communist conspiracy. Officials from China and the Soviet Union employ Shaw as a sleeper agent in an attempt to subvert and take over the United States government. So hot piece of ass, Angela Lansbury plays Shaw's mom in the movie, and this is like unlike any role you've ever seen her in. Maybe that's why you think she's hot, because she's so like, she's all like dirty and mean and shit in here. I only really remember her though from murder she wrote and bed knobs and broomsticks yeah she's Neither always been wholesome one and she's of those. a monster in this movie i guess maybe that's it right. maybe i did see that and i was like that's hot that's hot she's, she's a monster she's ass in this. yeah so she's part of this whole conspiracy she's actually one of the controlling people and she's one of his controllers mm-hmm. 
and they use like a deck of cards or whatever. To, yeah, to like to hypnotize turn them on. Them. Yeah, yeah, like turns them on and off. And yeah. to, to be the assassin. Not in a sexy way. No. Anyway, she has him kill a bunch of people and then controls him to shoot the presidential candidate so that he can become the default nominee because she was helping his campaign to be vice president. Right. So the point being, you kill the presidential nominee and then he'll default into that position and then be controlled by the communists. So when she plans to activate him to do that, before she sends him out, she kisses him on the lips. Do you remember the scene? Yeah, I do. I've always felt weird about family members kissing each other on the lips. Speaking of crazy moms, when moms post pictures of themselves on Facebook kissing their kids on the lips, I'm like, I don't like this. I don't like this. Not on the lips. Anywhere else. (laughs) Not on the crack, but like anywhere else. I mean, fair. That's fair. Anyway, so there's a kiss on the lips to hint at the incestuous relationship that was underlying in the whole film. She's got a boner for him. Right. Yeah. I don't want to spoil this movie. I know I usually spoil movies, but it's really worth watching the original version. It's a classic. It's a classic for a reason. It holds up really well. And I don't want to spoil the ending, but I just want to carry it over to the novel with the relationship between the the mom and the son. And it's a lot more explicit, the whole incest part of that. So there's a bedroom scene, which I think Frankenheimer wanted to add in the movie, but maybe it was because of Hayes Code or whatever. They wouldn't let him do it. What year was this? 1962. So Mm. it's a tail end of the Hayes Code. They also just might not have wanted to go there. Right. Either way, that's the only part you got was the kiss on the lips to hint as being an incestuous relationship. And Lansbury is like a monster in this movie. It's really like nothing you've ever seen with her. And as a result, she was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. Mm -hmm. She won the Golden Globe for it, but she didn't win the Academy Award. Anyway, talking about the Liv Schreiber... Denzel Washington remake oh, right. with Meryl Denzel. Streep in the Meryl hot piece of ass Streep role. Was that? Oh. Yeah, I didn't like it as much, and I didn't like her as much either. She Meryl Streep is like very actorly. Like she's, like, I'm acting, and to me, it felt like she was way over the top in this movie. This movie came and went very, very quickly. It wasn't like why would you remake the Manchurian Candidate? There's yeah. no need for that. The old one holds up great. Yeah, it didn't have as much relevance. Not my favorite. No, I agree. It's not. And it's been forgotten through time, yet this one still holds up. So watch this movie, y'all. But also, for you, Slane, I want you to remember this movie right now because the themes are going to come back around because we've got murder, incest, and a mother using someone for her own purposes, her Mm -hmm. own child for her own purposes. That theme comes back, and we'll talk about that some more. Okay. My next movie is Straight Jacket from 1964. (laughs) I've never seen it. Have you heard of this? You never heard of this? No, what is it? So this... Well, it's an American horror thriller starring Joan Crawford. So this is essentially, it really is kind of a psycho ripoff in its own way. And it's a good movie. It's a great movie. We've talked about it. I'm not going to talk about it much except to say that Joan Crawford played a crazy-ass mom who killed some people and then was put away for a while. She gets let out. You've already spoiled this movie, but you think she's killing people again. It turns out her daughter is the one killing people. Right. So this theme carries over from Psycho, not just similar plot points, but also the same type of bad mom and that the mom really didn't have a hell of a lot of influence on her kids. She was locked up for most of the kid's life, right? right? So this is essentially just like the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. Like the kid turns out to be crazy on her own and it's not really a nurture thing than a nature the thing, right? the nut doesn't fall far from the tree. Thank you. Yeah. The nut doesn't fall far from the tree. Well, it makes Thank more you, sense that it's a nut because it's a crazy reference. Right, no, I get the it. fruit is, this is that's why a gay you're here. reference, yeah. <laughs> that's what they would say about me the, the gay guy didn't doesn't fall, fall yeah, far right, from the tree yeah. yeah so in this case the gay guy didn't fall far from the tree <laughs> and the daughter is a psycho killer kind of like her mom is but it wasn't really nurture it was nature yeah this movie doesn't really make any sense when you put it all together her daughter appears to really want her to come home from the mental institution and everything be okay yet her daughter also murders people people that are close to her dressed as her mother to try to essentially get her mother to go back to the mental institution and it just doesn't really all add up right I think also Joan Crawford had a lot of script rewrites done in the character, which (laughs) probably didn't help it. Sure. It's a wonderful movie, though. (laughs) It's so much fun. I mean, yeah. All right. So let me move on to a much worse mom. How about that? And that mom is Margaret White, oh, played boy. by Piper Laurie in the movie Carrie. From I think we can all agree she was a terrible. <laughs> she mom. was a fucking terrible mom. Everyone's seen Carrie, based on Stephen King's novel of the same name, directed by Brian De Palma, had Sissy Spacek as Carrie, who got tampons thrown at her in your episode mm-hmm. on Period Piece. And turns out she has telekinetic powers, and she kills a bunch of people because they pushed her too far. 
Throughout the whole movie, she's got a nightmare, overly religious mom, very similar to the overly religious dads in your episode on Bad Dads. Yeah. The funny thing about Carrie is it's not really a horror movie. The scariest parts that happen are with her mom. Yeah. The telekinetic parts aren't particularly scary no. because you're rooting for Carrie the whole time. Yeah. You're like, yeah, kill the them all. The scary part is how crazy her mom is. Yeah. Piper Laurie just like knocks it out of the park. She's the template by which all other religious zealot yep. moms are based. Mostly in Stephen King movies. Mostly yep. in Stephen King movies, yes. I don't have a lot more to say to her about her, except that she was super controlling. She hated Carrie. She thought she was an abomination, and she was especially mean to Carrie when she went into puberty because she thought she was unclean and all this other shit. Because she was raped and Carrie was the product of that rape, then yeah. that, she blamed Carrie for that. And right. it wasn't that's not Carrie's fault. No, but that's a good theme. Thanks for helping me, because what you've got is a mother blaming the child for her problems. This is a theme that comes back, so hold on to that. And some of this religious zealot stuff, which I don't see a lot going forward uh, that I talk about, but that definitely echoes your religious father. You know, they're using the Bible. My religious father? He was horrible. Yeah. Just kidding. My dad is like the most not religious person I know. And he's one of the nicest people I know. He's very kind. Yeah. All right. The Brood from 1979 is my next movie. They come from the unknown. And they're here now, hiding, waiting to strike. You can feel their presence all around you. Never before have you faced anything so strange and sinister, so bizarre and unnerving. David Cronenberg's The Brood. Oh, right. Yeah. We talked about this in Bad Babies. Bad, Bad Babies, Babies yeah. is where you brought it up. Mm-hmm. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's a psychological body horror film from none other than director David Cronenberg, who you and I both love. And it stars a bunch of people I don't know. Yeah. Oliver Reed's in it. Whatever. Anyway, the plot follows a man attempting to track down his mentally ill ex-wife, who has been sequestered by a psychologist known for his controversial therapy techniques. A series of brutal, unsolved murders serves as the backdrop for the central narrative. Again, you talk about this in Bad Babies, and it does indeed have some. But the mom, whose name is Nola, is also, she's fucking crazy, and she's abusive. I think her daughter was taken from her Mm -hmm. because... She was beating the daughter or there were signs of abuse. So Mm -hmm. anyway, the mom starts having these children. You don't know where they come from at first, but these little dwarves, they're evil dwarves. They come and start murdering people, start killing people. Turns out the mom is having these dwarves to do her bidding. Right. Of course, there's that scene you talked about where she has like a a womb outside her body. Yeah, an external womb. And the dwarf baby comes out of that and she licks it clean which is disgusting. Yeah. And then it, it Very kills controversial people for scene at the time. And it gets to the point where she's doing anything she can to win this custody battle, which she'll kill whoever, she'll do whatever she wants. And I think at one point, the dwarves go after the daughter too. Like mm-hmm. she's just lost control, lost her fucking mind. She's sending them after the daughter. And I believe, spoiler, she gets killed. The dwarves die. Daughter saved. And did you have, you're looking at me weird. I remember talking about it. I just didn't remember any of the plot other than she has weird dwarf children. But like, what's the explanation? Because normal people can't do that. They don't have an external womb and they don't have dwarf children. What was the explanation? So, I think it was based on those therapy techniques where her anger actually became a physical being. She was able to birth her anger and rage into a physical form. Oh, that's interesting. I've never learned that at therapy. I know. I wrong I therapist. I know. I want to try this Because that's fucking cool. That is kind of cool. I would love to have little dwarf babies do my bidding for me. Me too. And I'm kind of angry too. So I feel like this could happen. I wouldn't even have them kill people. I would be like, bring me things. Yeah, they'd go out and buy me beer right now. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's talk about the trope, because there's a trope for this. So you've got this mommy who will do anything to get what she wants. It's actually similar to the Manchurian Candidate in that she'll use children to get what she wants, even if it means destroying her children to do so. So that's the theme I'm pulling from this. Got it. Fun fact, supposedly Cronenberg wrote this after he divorced from his wife. Why is that fun? So what you're saying is is that he had a not very good opinion of women at the time of when he wrote Or at least this. his ex-wife, yeah. I guess. Yeah, Interesting. When he wrote okay. this. So there you go. Don't know if it's fun, but it's, it's a it's fact. Interesting. It is a fact. Yes. You got half of it, right? <laughs> okay. All right, let's move on. Let's keep going. Friday the 13th from 1980. American slasher film that tells the story of a group of teenage camp counselors who are murdered one by one by an unknown killer while attempting to reopen an abandoned summer camp. This is the most popular horror movie in the world next to Halloween. Everybody knows this movie. Yep. But what some people may forget is that this is one of the only two movies in Friday the 13th series that doesn't have Jason as the killer. Right. He only shows up one time at the very at end. The very he's end. dead, right? Yeah. So who's the killer in this movie? His mom. That's right. His What's her mom, name? Natalie? Pamela Voorhees. <laughs> Hold up where Natalie came from. Yeah. Natalie... <laughs> 
Pamela. Jessica Claus right. Voorhees. <laughs> and she's killing all these counselors because back in 1957, he drowned, quote unquote, and she blamed the camp counselors who were too busy having sex to save him when he was swimming in the lake. So at the end, she's wearing a nice turtleneck sweater, which she's is nuts funny. Too. She's, she's fucking, real fun nuts. She is yeah. fun. She's fun crazy. And she ends up getting her head cut off at the end of the movie by yeah. one of the counselors, and it's a big controversy. Anyway, as you said at the very, very end, one of the counselors that shows her going out in a boat, and she's like, oh, I got away from Pamela Voorhees, and I'm going to uh, nap in this boat. And then she wakes up in the morning, and then that's when Jason comes out of the lake jumps out. and jumps out. Then it sets it up for the rest of the franchise. But you've got a, a unique bad mom here in that she's just getting revenge. That whole revenge thing. You don't know if she was a bad mom. She could be a great mom. Yeah, she might have been. But now she's unhinged because her kid died and she has to go kill some people. So she's bad for different reasons. It's not necessarily bad for her kids, but she's a mom and she's a bad person. Right. Anyway. Yeah, she's still a bad mom because she murdered a whole bunch of people. Right, right. And so, because of something that happened to her specifically because she was a mom. So right. That so that's unique count. to what I'm talking about here. Oh, as I mentioned before, this is one of only two movies in this franchise that didn't have Jason as the killer. Mm-hmm. What's the second one? That didn't. There's another one that does not have him as the killer. I have no idea. It's Friday the 13th, part five, The New Beginning. Mm-mm. It was right after the one where Corey Feldman killed him in part four, the the end one. I, you know, I don't ever think I saw one past two. Okay. I think yeah, I, mean, I saw two anything. and that was it, yeah. But yeah. Just for you're those acting like this is a huge thing and you're like, how do you not know this? How I'm do like, you not oh, know this? How I have you watched know. all of them? Anyway, no, I've watched... No, no, I'm, just, I'm making jokes. Yeah. But that's just a little trivia out there. I think a lot of people don't realize that. But now you know. Okay, so my next film brings us back to Joan Crawford, only slightly different in that <laughs> it's a biopic about her called mommy dearest yes mommy dearest from 1981 this movie's fucking crazy we've talked about it a bunch you talked about it this movie's nuts why anyone even thought that this should be a movie is shocking because this is a lifetime movie at best yeah it was based off of a book it's always been questionable whether any of it is true in the first place i'm sure it is I have no doubts that, sure Joan crazy, jo- yeah. that Joan Crawford was a complete whack job. Right. However, this is not the type of movie that should have been Hollywood opening night fair. You know? Well, I it think- only exists for gay people, I think. <laughs> I've seen okay. this movie 33 times. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's like, it's why a, does this movie exist? It's but a I love lifetime it. movie. I mean, it is. It yeah. is so over the top. And I think it was originally supposed to be an Oscar vehicle for Faye Dunaway. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I think that they were like, play a terrible person. This will pave your way to a Best Actress Oscar. Mm -hmm. That's not what happened. No. However, it's amazing how there's another film we're going to talk about that in a lot of ways is very similar that did do that. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that in a minute. I just want to say that I can see when this was pitched and when they were setting it up and when Faye Dunaway signed on, they were like, this is going to be the fucking movie that gets you best actress, Mm -hmm. hands down, no competition. And then it became this crazy, crazy ass movie. So over the top. Yeah. Not in a good way. In a good way if you're a gay man, because (laughs) you would love it. But if you're not, it's not a good movie. It really isn't a good movie at all. But anyway, for those of you who don't know this movie or just want to hear me recap a little bit of it. So this movie was the 1981 film adapted from the 1978 autobiography of Joan Crawford's adopted daughter, Christina. She wrote this autobiography and this was made into the movie. And it portrays Joan Crawford as a fucking monster. Yeah. Throughout the whole movie, she is nothing but like a powder keg ready to explode. And she does often. And of course, the one scene that's always played is when she gets mad at her daughter for putting these nice clothes on wire hangers. And then she just goes on a rant like 15 minutes about that, which culminates in her beating her kid with the wire hangers, screaming, no wire hangers. I watched it again for this episode. And, you know, the way they light her, like they light her like a fucking horror movie. Like yeah. she's a monster in this a horror movie. This is a movie. horror movie. <laughs> it is a horror movie. Christina is stuck with a monster of a mother. And there's and everyone thinks that the mother is a wonderful person, right. except Christina sees the real Joan Crawford, who is right. a monster. An absolute monster. And Christina in this scene is like eight or seven. She's yeah. really super young and gets beat by a wire hanger. No wire hangers! What's wire hangers doing in this closet when I told you no wire hangers ever? Work and work till I'm half dead and I hear people saying she's getting old. What do I get? 
The overacting in this movie is amazing. And of course, supposedly, like, audiences laughed out loud during the scene. Yeah. It was never taken seriously, even from the premiere night. People thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Interestingly enough, well, maybe not that interesting enough, it did win a lot of awards, although they were all Golden Raspberry Awards. Mm -hmm. At the second Golden Raspberry Awards, it won for Worst Movie, Worst Actress, Worst Supporting Actor, Worst Supporting Actress, and Worst Screenplay. And I think at the 10th Golden Raspberry Awards, it won, like, Worst Picture of the Decade. Yeah. So that's a pretty big accomplishment. Faye Dunaway still to this day won't talk about the movie. I think in one interview basically said he was an inexperienced director. I followed him down this path and it was way over the top. But basically she blamed it on the director, you know, which is probably fair. I mean, that is fair. You know, that is fair. And it's nuts. I don't want to talk too much about it, but I do want to talk about themes because what you have here, number one, you have an insane mother who's not murderous, but continually beats her kids. But what she also does, and here's a theme I want to pull from this movie, is that she blames her kids for ruining her life. Yeah. It's her kids' fault for her life going to shit. Yet she adopted the kids. Yes, she adopted the kids. It wasn't like she accidentally had some kids and then blamed them. She went out and bought them kids. Right. No, she did. But that theme comes back, that whole thing where it's this lashing out about how the kids ruined them. So we'll talk about that some more. Moving on. So my next movie is Flowers in the Attic from 1987. Mm-hmm. This one has not only bad mothers, but bad grandparents as well. Yep. And it's, we talked about this a bunch in Incest. Yeah. So I'm not going to touch it too much too. in High Exploitation. But the plot is, it stars Louise Fletcher and Christy Swanson, based on the V.C. Andrews novel, the same name. The plot is that this woman takes her kids to live with her grandparents in this big house after her husband dies. They end up getting locked in the attic. And the mother stops visiting them, and they start getting poisoned, and one of them even dies. You think the grandmother's poisoning them, but it's actually the mother because she wants to get this inheritance, right? Am yeah, because the mother married her cousin. Right. That's why they hate the kids and why they can never know about the kids so that they lock them in the attic until the father dies. Right. So, Meanwhile, the father dies like 10 minutes into the movie, and she never tells him. She just tries to poison the kids so she can run away with another man and take all the money. Right. So it's just and awful. And the kids fuck. Yeah, the kids fuck. And so there's more incest, just in case you didn't get enough with her marrying her cousin. And you've got two generations of bad parents. You've got a bad mother, bad grandmother, but the bad mother is the one that's the murderer. And this is that theme again, where you've got the mother that's willing to do anything to get what she wants. She wants this inheritance. Doesn't matter if her kids die to get it. Yeah. She wants what she wants and everyone else is expendable. She's a real shithole. Yeah, she's a fucking monster. Yeah. Fun fact, I made a joke during your incest episode where I said I was going to buy you this book series for Christmas, and damned if I didn't. Oh, boy. He bought all five of them. <laughs> like the whole a collection bounded of book them. series for Slate to enjoy. Yeah, I and mean, you started them, have you? No, oh, of course. I'm not going to read that crap. Oh, that's bullshit. You said you love those books. I say a lot of things. <laughs> I mean, I would that. you read them? If I bought them for you, would you read them? No, but I also wasn't like, oh, I'd love to read those books like you said in your episode. I wouldn't have been like, oh, yeah, I'd love to read them again and then not read them when you got them for Christmas. I was drunk. <laughs> I probably wasn't, but... You weren't drunk. Well, fuck you and your books. How about that? Yep. Mm-hmm. Next movie is Hellraiser from 1987. You remember Hellraiser? Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I struggle. I struggle with it. I just watched it not too long ago, and I, I really had a hard time with it. It's not what you think it is at all. No, I know, which is kind of great, which is why I like it. So Hellraiser is the 1987 British horror film directed, written and directed by Clive Barker, based on his story, The Hellbound Heart. And it's also his directorial debut, and it's about this girl named Kirsty, her father, and her stepmother, and they move into her dad's childhood home. But this house is already occupied because Larry is the dad's name. His brother brought this puzzle box home that opens up a door to another dimension. He opened it while he was in that house and got ripped apart by hooks. Yeah. Anyway. That was cool. That was cool. cool. Basically, what happens is Larry, the father, cuts himself in the room where his brother died. Frank is his brother's name. And that sort of brings Frank back from the land of the dead, mm-hmm. right? So Julia finds out about it. Julia's the stepmom. She was having an affair with Frank. So basically, Frank is like, I was yanked to this other dimension by these freaky people called the Cenobites, 
which are cool. Mm-hmm. And he found a way to escape, which is somehow the blood got on the floor. He escaped, but he's not fully formed. So he's not quite human yet. He's like, he doesn't have any skin. You can see muscle and bone and stuff. And so he needs her help to get blood to fully form. Right. So Julia, the stepmom, becomes a de facto serial killer where she picks up men and brings them in and hits them with a hammer so Frank can suck their blood out of yeah, them yeah. to build himself back up to fully human. So she basically just starts murdering motherfuckers. And after she gets to a point where he's fully formed, starts fucking him again because she was already having an affair with him. She was in love with Frank. So right. I love this movie. I think it holds up great. I think it's wonderful. But Julia, the stepmom, okay, she's an evil stepmom. But again, we have somebody who will go to great lengths to get what she wants you know she has no morals about killing people just to be with the man she wants to fuck again right so she's a bad mom that way but she's also kind of a wicked stepmother too in that Mm -hmm. in that vein we're all just trying to get laid yeah we're all out here just trying to get laid all right my next movie is the grifters from 1990 you ever seen it i haven't seen it is this angelica houston yep John Cusack and Annette Bening, and they all play con artists, Mm -hmm. right? And Angelica Houston is John Cusack's mom. And everybody's running scams on everybody. But what happens here is John Cusack gets beat up because some crime guy that he's working for thinks he stole money. Turns out Angelica Houston, his mom stole this money, and she's trying to control him because I guess he starts dating Annette Bening. And basically everybody's just scamming everybody here. But what happens here is Angelica Houston pisses off Annette Bening, who wants to kill her. Angelica Houston ends up killing her instead, but fakes like it's her own death. Mm -hmm. John Cusack finds out, and she's begging him not to tell the cops or whatever, not to say anything. He tells her he's gonna anyway, and she basically like tries to bribe him with sex to get him to stop his own mom. Right. That doesn't work, and then she ends up like killing him by accident. So she kills her own kid Mm -hmm. to get away with her scam. Yeah, that's a pretty bad mom. But you've got the incest theme again, and you've got a mom whose values are what she wants. Is Angelica Houston old enough to be John Cusack's mom? No, she's only like six years older than him. That's weird. Or something like that. I feel like she should have done that. Well, I mean, I think it was a good move for her because she was nominated for Best Actress for this movie. Did she win? No. She didn't win for it, but it's just nice to be nominated. Yeah. Moving on, my next movie, Spanking the Monkey from 1994. Mm-hmm. This was David O. Russell's, I think, first film. And it's essentially about a woman who breaks her leg and her son has to take care of her while the father's out traveling. And uh, he fucks her. He fucks her twice. Twice. And things go badly mm-hmm. because he ends up almost strangling her and then runs away or jumps off a cliff and you think he dies, but he actually runs away. Yeah. I would argue. Okay. Incorrectly, that she's not a bad mom, yet she is. Right. Her, your one job as a parent is to not have sex with your own kid. Right. And, and she, does. she does that. So I watched it again, and it's not a clear motive of why she decides to do it. Maybe she's just lonely. Maybe her husband's she, cheating on her. And he's been, yeah, he's cheating on her. He every, like goes out of town, and yeah. it's been going on for a long time, and she is trapped in the house because she can't move because right. of her leg, and now her son has to take care of her, and I think that he takes on the mother role, Yeah, and I think it's confusing for everyone. Yeah. He is of legal consent age. However, she has one job as a mother, which is to not, not have sex yes. with your kid, and, and she does that, so I agree she is a bad mom. She's a bad mom. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fucked up movie. It's a pretty good one. I liked it. It's a good yeah, one. I liked it. I, I liked just, it when it came out. I saw it for my incest episode. I think it's pretty good. It is a pretty good movie. But I had to mention it. She's a bad mom. Again, one of the least bad ones as far as not killing people. But yeah, don't fuck your kid, I yep. guess is the theme here. All right. So my next movie is one of your favorite movies, Serial Mom from 1994. Never seen it. You don't know what I'm talking about? No. What is that? It's by what's his name? That dude oh. that did Pecker. Walters. John Walters. <laughs> yeah, that's him. <laughs> So, this is a great movie. Do you want to just talk on this again? Because you love talking about this movie. Yeah, sure. Have we ever really talked about it in any of the episodes? I mean, I talk about it all the time, but other than John Waters, I guess not. Yeah, Serial Mom is based on a true story that is not true at all. The opening says it's based on a true story. It was not. And it is Kathleen Turner, who plays a Baltimore suburban mother, who every time something happens to threaten her kids in any way, she murders the person that does that. And it's everything. The first murder is... Is uh, her her son's teacher who says that he's demented because he draws old movie posters like Blood Feast? <laughs> Imagine if he had had a podcast about lowbrow film topics. God knows, but much happen. more trouble. She kills the boyfriend of Ricky Lake or ex-boyfriend because.
because he's cheating on her with porn star Tracy Lords. Right. So that's basically what happens. It does the second half of the movie takes place as a court case. Yeah. It really is very pre OJ Simpson court TV. It happened actually like a minute and a half before OJ and Simpson. the movie bombed at the box office because right. it was so cynical and kind of was like, oh well, you know, people are obsessed with murder cases, which they weren't at the time. Right. And then one second later, OJ happened. Just and think if he released it like about six months after he had like invented that basically right. yeah it's a great movie but let me grab it back from you because this actually touched on a lot of the stereotypes i brought up in the beginning because kathleen turner's character is a parody of basically the super mom because mm-hmm. she does everything not only does she do everything but anyone who doesn't or fucks with you know her mom duties well they end up in a bad way or yeah. dead she's june cleaver she's, she's psychopath she's june psycho- cleaver yeah, so she's a psycho she's overbearing because she's kind of controlling of her kids too but not in a serious way but i'm just saying they don't fuck with her and two she's super mom because she can do everything she's so it's not really manipulative over the kids not manipulative but they also kind of respect their mom like they don't really if they i remember respect their mother <laughs> they should <laughs> they that's should. kids number one job kids is to respect, respect their mother mind their, their mother's mom. number one job is to not have sex with them right is to not repay their respect and kathleen with, turner succeeds in that she does not have sex with anyone no she's a terrible mom she's a murderer right she's a murderer but i don't think she's manipulative over the kids no but this is a good satire of all of those tropes that you see in the movie correct so that's why i had to bring it up it's a great movie and it holds up really well it's probably it holds up even better now i think it it's did. better than it was i agree yeah. So let me move on to something that's much darker, and we're going to move ahead in time a little bit. And that is the movie Precious, or Precious based on the novel Pushed by Sapphire, which is the American drama film directed by Lee Daniels, which is based on the novel Pushed by Sapphire. And this film stars... All right, do you want to take this one? Yeah, sure, because you can't pronounce it. It's Gabrory Sidibe. Okay. Yeah. Well done. You said, how do I pronounce it? And I said, Monique. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> You're thanks. like, not that one. Thanks, guy. <laughs> but it also stars Monique and Mariah Carey. Mm-hmm. They uglied up Mariah Carey to be a social worker. Yeah. So this movie takes place in New York City in Harlem in 1987, and it's about an overweight, abused, illiterate teen who's pregnant with her second child from her father, and her mom is a goddamn monster. She's a monster. She's the worst of all of them. She's the worst yeah. of, of all everyone of Everyone we've talked about, right. she's the worst. And Monique like just dived into this role, and she's horrifying. Well, let me back up and say, everyone knows about this movie. This movie was a big deal when it came out. It got a lot of Oscar attention, you know, deservedly so. There's some great performances in it. But let me compare this to something like Mommy Dearest, mm-hmm. because both of those roles, these women are nightmares, right? Complete nightmare yep. moms. Both of them have that trope or follow that trope where they blame their kids for all their problems. Mm-hmm. And comparing the two, it's amazing how there's so very small things in performances like this that can steer it towards laughably bad to Oscar-worthy horrifying. Yeah, it's, a th- it's a thin line. It's a very mm-hmm. thin line. And I think I found out what it was because there's a scene in Precious where Monique is talking to Mariah Carey, guidance counselor, and Mariah Carey is trying to get her to talk about how Monique allowed Precious's dad to impregnate her twice. And Monique goes on a tangent about basically she's blaming Precious for taking her husband away from her. Right. And it's horrifying, but she finds a spot in there where it humanizes her just enough, at least just for a minute. And then she puts that guard back on and she's a monster again. That was my man. That was my fucking man. That was my man. And he wanted my daughter. And that's why I hated her, because my man, who was supposed to be loving me, who was supposed to be making love to me, was fucking my baby, and she made him leave. She made him go away. So whose fault was it then? It's this bitch's fault because she let my man have her and she didn't say nothing. She didn't scream. She didn't do nothing. So those things that she told you did to her, who who, who else was going to love me? Hmm? Since you got your degree and you know every fucking thing, who was going to love me? Who who was going to make me feel good? Who was going to touch me and make me feel good late at night? And she made him go away. So when you sit there and you write them fucking notes on your pad about who you think I am and why I did it and all of that, because I didn't have nobody. 
that's a scene that was totally missing in Faye Dunaway. I'm not saying other stuff wasn't over the top, but I feel like there was enough humanizing elements in Precious to make Monique's character human-ish, where Faye Dunaway never had any of that in Mommy Dearest. And I think that's one of the reasons why Precious is considered to be a very good movie and why Mommy Dearest is not (laughs) Not, considered. Because the thing also is that people that knew Joan Crawford were like, this is not the way she was, you know? Yeah. She might have been a monster when you closed the door and she might have been a terrible person to Christina, but there was never any explanation. It was, that is an exploitation movie. Yeah. Whereas Precious is a different type of movie. I don't want to say it's an exploitation movie. I definitely think it's a very manipulative movie. There's a lot of exploitation it's elements cruelty in there. Porn, you mean, know, it is. It's, it's one of those movies where the situation could not get any worse and then it does, and then it does 10 more times right. after that. And it just exists to make you feel terrible. Right. Which luckily I like feeling terrible. So I enjoyed the movie. <laughs> right. I mean, enjoying the movie is I don't know the right term, yeah. but it was a powerful movie. There was a lot of great performances and it was a very harrowing movie. Yep. So whatever might have made you laugh and at Faye Dunaway, there was nothing to make you laugh at Monique. She yep. was fucking scary. But again, the themes are very similar. Take the incest part out of it. And there's a lot of similarities in regards to the blame on the child for relationships ending, for their lives being ruined. Monique blames Precious for every bad thing that happened right. to her. And, you know, Joan Crawford did the same fucking thing in that movie. So, you know, that's a very common theme of blaming the children, projecting all your failures on your children. Right. Oh, and as I mentioned, so this movie was hailed at the Academy Awards. It received nominations for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, which Monique won, and Best Adapted Screenplay. So it got a lot of recognition. Did you say Best Actress? Gab Rory did get nominated. Yes, I did. I said Best Actress. Yeah. Great. My next film I want to talk about is called Prevenge from 2016. You never saw it. Mm -hmm. I never saw it. It's on Shudder for those who want to watch this, haven't had a chance to watch it. It's about this woman named Ruth who, after her husband dies from a climbing accident, she's now heavily pregnant. And she becomes convinced that her fetus is compelling her to murder all the people that are involved with his death. So she goes out to get revenge at the behest of her fetus, I guess, telling her to do so. Okay. So she does. She goes out and gets revenge. And so I find that interesting. This is very much like a a prenatal Friday the 13th, kind of, in one way, in that she's becoming Pamela Voorhees because she's getting revenge on the people she thinks affected her family, right? Got it. So that's all I want to say about revenge. Prevenge or Prevenge, as you may call it. And then my last film that I want to talk about is Mom and Dad from 2017. This is a horror comedy that stars Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair. The plot is a teenage girl and her little brother must survive 24 hours, during which a mass hysteria of unknown origin causes parents to turn violently on their own kids. So I don't know much about this movie. I wish I'd seen it because I feel like I heard decent things about it. I heard they did a good job. I mean, anytime you can channel Nick Cage's craziness into something productive, I'm always down to watch. It's something. It's something. You watched it? No, I'm saying Nick Cage is something. He is indeed I don't something. know how to finish that sentence. That's fair. But I like the theme of this and that I may be giving this film too much credit, but that whole theme where sometimes parents just want their kids gone, just want to kill their kids. I feel like it's a play on this where parents are just like, I fucking can't stand my kids. I wish they weren't here. Mm-hmm. So wrapping this up and looking at the films I mentioned, I find it interesting that many have repeating themes here. For instance, the stereotypes I mentioned above where we have someone like Kathleen Turner's parody of the Supermom and we have overbearing mothers like hot piece of ass Angela Lansbury. And they're spanking the monkey where we see the friend mom gone horribly wrong, mm-hmm. where she's fucking her son. Because, you know, they, they're sort of on the same playing field at that right. point. They're not really mother and son anymore. And then there's the majority where we just have the just plain psycho stereotype. What surprised me was how many of these bad moms feel like their lives were ruined by their children. That seemed to be an underlying theme of many of them, where it's their children's fault that their lives right. are shit. Like Mommy Dearest and Precious, of course. Or you've got that whole underlying theme where they just put themselves over everything else and all they care about are their own greedy wishes, like Flowers in the Attic, The Grifters, The Brood, and Hellraiser. And it's here I find interesting most of all, and I'll go into why in just a second. But first I want to talk about my last two films, two very quick things. One is called Bad Moms from 2016. Have you ever seen this movie? It's Cameron Diaz. No, it's got Mila Kunis, you're thinking a bad teacher. It's got Mila Kunis, Kristen Bell, and Christina Applegate. And it's just like these moms who like are tired of trying to be Pinterest moms, you know, mm-hmm. and trying to be helicopter moms. And so they're going, we're going to be bad and drink wine. You know, it's that kind of bad. Moms. Yeah, yeah. They're not murdering anybody. Although I feel like Kathleen Turner made fun of this type of movie in Serial Mom. Yeah. You know, 20 years prior, but whatever. Anyway, so this is sort of a statement on the super mom stereotype is what these movies are, you know, where we just can't do everything at once and we shouldn't be expected to. Sure. Right. So they're they're making a play on that. And then my last movie is a movie that hasn't even come 
come out yet called Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Have you seen the preview for this? No, I've heard of it, though. Okay, so it's an American mystery comedy film directed by Richard Linklater. It's based on a novel of the same name, and it stars Kate Blanchett, Billy Crudup, and Christian Wiig. Like I said, as of this recording, this movie has not come out. By the time this episode comes out, this movie will be out. Mm-hmm. But what it's about is this mom named Bernadette. She hates people. She hates leaving the house. But more than anything, she hates the other parents at her daughter B's school. When she disappears, when the family is supposed to go on a cruise or something, it's her daughter's mission to find out where she disappeared to and why and what's really happened to her. Mm -hmm. So she just sort of runs off. Nobody knows what happened to her. So that's the mystery. And that's, I guess, what the movie is going to follow. So this movie doesn't involve murder, incest, or anything like that. But what I find interesting is that what it sounds like and what I think it's about is Bernadette has decided to do something for herself to run off and live her own life or pursue something that's beyond her family, I think, is the plot. I could be wrong. But on the surface, that's what it looks like, that she just ran off and was like, I'm going to do my own thing, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what I find really interesting is you have these two films here where it's mothers doing things for themselves. And that kind of drags us all the way back around to the early silent films of the early 1900s, where movies that I talked about, like The Planner's Wife, What's His Name, The Sacrifice of Jonathan Gray, and all that other stuff, where you've got these mothers who are running off on their families to do something that they want to do because they feel like maybe their family life's stifling or whatever, and they want to see what the world is outside of that. It's kind of coming back around with movies like this and maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit with Bad Moms. And so I found that interesting because it just sort of wraps all the way back around to the beginning of film where the first movies you saw were moms that were bad moms. Right. They weren't murderous moms necessarily. They weren't psychopaths. And now we're seeing what could be that trend again in these new movies. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm going to leave it. What do you think? Yeah, I was actually thinking about that as well throughout the episode and just the differences between bad moms and bad dads in film. The interesting thing is, is that, you know, when there's a bad dad, he just disappears. Right. He's just like, nah, fuck these kids, fuck this lady, I'm out of here. Right. And just disappears and you never hear from him again. Goes to the store, gets a pack of cigarettes, and then never just comes keeps back. coming. Yeah, yep. it keeps going. Moms can't leave. They can't abandon their kids, right. at least in the movies, you know? So they have to stay and deal with it somehow. And then that's why I think I was trying to think if any of the bad dad movies had a father who has kids is a single father and then he hates the kids because this is the <laughs> life that he's left with no of course not he right. just leave the kids and, and disappear and you know leave them sitting on the doorstep but that's the thing it's moms can't leave so they have to stay there and deal with it in the situation of precious and mommy and dearest then they just use that as an excuse that it ruined their life right so that is kind of interesting that there's one thing that a dad does which is disappear And then moms have to sit here and be crazy. Well, on top of all of that, look at these other movies. Look at Precious, look at Flowers in the Attic, look at The Grifters, The Brood. They all share that common theme in a bigger level of just moms doing their own thing. Essentially, they're just like looking out for themselves in one way or another. It's sort of a commentary or judgment on a mom who's forsaking everything else and saying, fuck everything, and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get whatever the fuck I want. This is me, right? So that's like an overlying theme. Like, I guess maybe... Maybe it's a commentary on on moms should be self-sacrificing, you know? Mm -hmm. They should give everything they can to their family and their children, and if they don't, then they're monsters. Right. And this is a reflection of them being monsters, because how dare they, you know... Ever take a moment out for themselves, or try to please themselves in any way. And all these horror... about the kids. Right, and all these horror movies are just exaggerated versions of that. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Good episode. I'm glad we did this series. We kind of pulled it out of our ass at the last second, but I think it worked. All right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com where you can find the links to some of the movies we talked about today. And also be sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter where we share a lot of additional content. And if you like the show or have any comments or suggestions, please drop us an email at slumsoffilmhistory at gmail.com or write us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies. I mean, fair. That's fair. It's a little weird. It's a little what creepy. If, what if it's a hot piece of ass Angela Lansbury? All right. You've played that joke en- enough. It's never going away now. Sorry. <laughs> it's never going away. It's here forever. It turns out that it was hot piece of ass Angela Lansbury. <laughs> no. Nope. No, it's not working. Don't okay. kill it. Hot piece of ass Angela Lansbury. <laughs>
No, no, nothing. No, no response. No, you murdered the joke. I thought. <sighs> oh, it was so funny. You killed it. <sighs> All right, I, I need another drink.